disorganization can keep us from fulfilling our potential. It's the life skills. I, I think it's the infrastructure of life, these life skills. And they're not taught in school, by and large. And they're not usually taught even parent to child. Today, students are busier than ever. They're overwhelmed, and it's affecting them in more ways than one. What if there was a way to experience breakthrough so that they're not filled with anxiety that there just isn't enough time to get things done? I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Well, I'm excited about our episode today, Jason, because we're talking with author Julie Morgenstern about organization, time management. I know it sounds kind of weird, but just like the, you said in the intro, students are busy, they're overwhelmed, and we as adults are in the same boat. How do we get over, how do we get past, how do we get through this issue that we're all feeling like there just aren't enough hours in the day? Julie's interview has provided a lot of good nuggets of information, but practical tactics to apply to our lives, to be able to get more organized, to be more effective with our time so that we can be effective with other people, with all of our schedules being so busy. So I think today's interview is is key to our life. Yeah, so the first part of our episode today, we're talking really more adults to adults. What What are we as youth workers, as parents, as ministry leaders, how can we be more effective in our lives? And then because let's be honest, we need to be more effective. Yeah, as we youth do. Leaders. We do more than ever. And then in the last part of the episode, we'll talk directly about what we can do to help students and influence them in these areas. So it, it's a really good episode. I want to point out too that she talks in the first segment earlier on in this episode about the breakthrough that can happen. And and I just want to point out from the get go of this episode that that so many youth workers I know, and I'd put myself in this boat, we could be so much more effective in our work if we were just maybe a little or a lot more organized. And she talks about how to break through into getting into that zone as people. And it's really powerful. She gets passionate, so I'm looking forward to it. So even though we are talking about students and their schedules, this is really an episode that can apply to both adults and students yeah, so this cluster of episodes we're talking today about students and their schedules and time. The previous episode, we talked with Jack Easterby, who um, was the chaplain for the New England Patriots, and he talks about students and their schedules and sports and time and how that impacts their lives. And for those of us working with students or their parents, we know that sports is, is can be a dominating force in our lives and our schedules. So if you haven't heard that, go check that out. It's a great episode, great interview. Next episode, we are going to look at the brain of a student. We're going to talk to Dr. Michael Wolf and the brain and the addiction that can come from interacting with our phones and screens. And it's really fascinating. That interview may have used words that are way bigger than uh, 14 letters, and which is hard to pronounce sometimes. It's like multiple syllables. I know it's tough for me. Yeah. But it's worth listening to because it's fascinating, it's informational, but I think he has some great insight into the adolescent brain and how we should approach it with when we're engaging with them, social media, with the phones, laptops, all that stuff. Well, we are on the phone with Julie Morgenstern. Julie is an organizing and productivity consultant, a New York Times bestselling author and speaker. And for over 30 years, Julie has been teaching people all around the world and at all stages of life how to overcome disorganization to achieve their goals. So we are so glad to have you on the phone with us today, Julie. Welcome to the Uh, Thought Factory podcast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, Julie, we are really intrigued by what you do. You're organizing. You're productive. Have you always been organized? And how did that come about in your life? We're curious. No, I was not always an organized person. I was a kind of notoriously disorganized person uh, all the way up through grad school, like through my mid-20s. Um, I, I was a, I'm a, 
a very right brain creative person. My background, I was in the theater at the time. I was living out of piles and spent half my day looking for things. And I always late and always sort of in a, in a rush. Um, and I, I, I craved order, but I was kind of afraid of it because I was a very spontaneous creative person. And I thought if I get organized, I'm going to become a really rigid, structured, boring person where everything is so predictable and there's no room for spontaneity or creativity. Um, And so I craved it. I tried to get organized, but I never quite got there. And then what changed for me is that I had a child (laughs) And when my daughter was born, I very quickly realized that though I could live with my own chaos and I could always sort of rescue myself from my own chaos, it was not fair to do to another person, to this child. And I thought, well, you know, I'll never get her out the door. I'll never fill out the form for kindergarten. I'm never, you know, like she's just always going to be a disadvantage. So my motivation to get organized and learn to organize was really when it when it was as a mom because I thought it would make me a better mom not because I wanted it for myself you mentioned that you are a creative you are an artist what did you do before you became an author because you are a New York Times best-selling author with multiple books Uh, what did you do before you became an author Well, I was in the theater. I went to undergrad and graduate school for theater. And when I finished grad school, I worked in both stage and television as a producer and a theatrical director. I read plays. I was a dramaturg. I worked in Chicago. And I also worked in New York in the theater. Oh, and I also waitressed. As my oh day my job or night job, which is what almost all people in the theater support themselves with when they're younger. When you're describing yourself in the past, it got a little bit close to home for me. I'm, <laughs> I struggle with being oh, late. Yeah? Well, this being is organized. actually an intervention for you, Is it? Jeff. Oh, boy. We've called Julie in to really get you more organized. <laughs> I, I kind of need it. Looking in piles, always looking for something. <laughs> Sounds so. Where'd I put that? You're so um, artsy. Yeah. yeah, I know. I am kind of an artistic guy too. All right. Um, enough about me. So you you talk. One of your principles is about organizing, in order to free yourself to make unique contributions. Flesh out that concept for us. It sounds uh, pretty interesting. I believe the most interesting thing about being on Earth is that. Each human is a unique individual with their own unique combination of skills and talents and interests, right? None of us are alike in that way, which means each one of us is positioned to make a very unique contribution in the world, whether it's in our communities and our families or our jobs or our work. It's like we're all unique. What keeps us? from making that unique contribution, from fulfilling that potential, very often is organizing systems. You can have all the talent in the world and all the interests in the world, but if you are disorganized or you are wasting time every day procrastinating or, you know, surfing the internet or uh, looking for your keys or uh, the business card of the person you met who said they could introduce you to so-and-so that could be a great career move, but you lose the card. Disorganization can keep us from fulfilling our potential. It's the life skills. I, I think it's the infrastructure of life, these life skills, and they're not taught in school by and large. And they're not usually taught even parent to child. People kind of either are organized or not. They see somebody organized and they learn it or they, or sometimes people grew up with really organized parents and they're like, well, I don't want to be like that. And they go in the opposite direction. So we don't have a system for teaching these life skills, but I think they are the oil in the machine of life. And they're the means by which we're able to really make our unique contribution because we have a system for doing so. 
I'm fascinated by the fact that you were not an organized person, that you were very free going yeah. and you worked out of piles and then you made that shift into becoming an organized person, but you had to establish these systems yourself. And yeah. you mentioned that organization is a, a learnable skill for people who yeah. may never see themselves as an organized person. So how, how do they learn these skills? Well, so, I mean, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that, right? What I discovered for myself, the first thing that I organized was the diaper bag for taking my daughter out for a walk <laughs> because, <laughs> because that was sort of my turning point moment, which was she'd gotten up from a nap when she was three weeks old. And I was like, oh, let's take her for a first walk. And then it took me two and a half hours to get ready for that walk. I had to find the diaper bag. I had to figure out what goes in there. I had to go find it. I had to, I was running around unprepared for the moment. And I, and by the time I was ready, my daughter had fallen back asleep and I had missed the moment. And I thought, I have got to get organized because I don't want my child to miss opportunities because I'm not ready. And I think being organized is about being ready. So in my case, I had a very clear motivation. I stopped looking at the chaos and I looked on the other side of the chaos and I thought, what will I be able to do if I'm more organized that I'm not able to do now? And for me, that was to be ready to seize opportunities and take my daughter to do anything out in the world on a moment's notice. I had a goal and to be a better parent. And then I just organized a diaper bag. And that's all that was organized, by the way, for about six months. That was the only aspect of my life that was organized. <laughs> but it stayed organized. It was a small system. It was one that I really was motivated to do because it, it, it tied to a bigger picture goal. And once I experienced the freedom that that and the payoff of that, I was able to then turn to the next object in my life and go, you know, if my kitchen was more organized, it wouldn't be a lot easier to quickly put together healthy meals and clean up afterwards, right? So then I tackled the kitchen and I used the same principles that I did for the diaper bag, except it was a bigger scale, right? Instead of a five pocket divided bag, it was like a whole kitchen with a bunch of cabinets and a fridge and a pantry. So I think the point is this. How do you learn the skill? You start with the smallest area of your life that has the biggest daily impact so that you can practice the skill of organizing in something that you can get done in under three hours. And then just experience that, and then you can start to take on the next project and the next and the next. And I, I mean, I really think, I've, I've worked with people, we start with their sock drawer. They're in and out of it every day. Hmm. They never could find matching socks before. Hmm. And once that sock drawer is organized, they just feel so much like power and freedom. And they're like, oh, I see how you do it. You group similar items. You put like with like. You give everything a home. You add some containers. You label the containers, and you maintain the system. And it really does break down to like a few simple steps. This is so good. I, this, this particular episode is part of a, a, a multi-part series that we're doing about students and time. And what, what I'm hearing is so, it's just good for me to hear it. And I know there's a lot of people listening to this that are youth workers, that are a lot of parents and we're thinking about this on two levels, one for us personally. And, and as you talked about, Julie, who's teaching this to the next generation? And we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about that later. But in yeah. talking about this, um, yeah, some of us, I, I know a lot of youth workers listen to this. And typical, the stereotype of youth workers are they're unorganized, they're creative, very spontaneous, they're, you know, planning their their um, youth group time on a Saturday night when it might be on, you know, the next day on Sunday. That's kind of a, a running joke in, in youth ministry yep. circles. Um, so let's talk about, you You talked about your breakthrough. Let's talk about breakthroughs for, for people. Do you find that those breakthroughs, are they generally more um, 
mental or action-oriented? In other words, when, when someone gets a breakthrough and they go from being disorganized to organized, are they more, is it more of a mental breakthrough, like, okay, I, I know I can do this, and you, you have kind of an epiphany moment, or is it more, I've just got to dig in and do the sock drawer thing, and then it starts to happen? What, how do you see that happening, typically, with people that move from yeah. unorganized to organized? Yeah, it's a great question, and I'm glad you put it in context of it's both for the listener and also for the people that, that, that your listener, that youth worker, is working with. How, there's no question in my mind in, in 30 years of doing this that breakthrough comes when someone sees something on the other side of the clutter or the disorganization that they desperately want. Breakthrough never comes when people are just looking at the disorganization. So whether it is in their time or their space, they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't be a dancer. And I want to be a dancer, but I can't get my homework done in time to make space for the dance classes. Oh, so if you could organize your homework and not procrastinate and get it done efficiently and effectively and on time, and that would open up space for you to pursue your hobby or your passion, oh, now that student really, really, really is motivated to learn the skill because they're focused on that payoff. My, my own daughter, I mean, in, in uh, the organizing from the Inside Out book for students and teens, she talked about the story of she was a daughter of an organizer, so you can imagine how she kept her room like the opposite. I had to walk <laughs> by with my eyes closed all the time. It was so messy looking. But there were three areas of her room that were organized always. And it was when she was young, it was her stuffed animals, which were always organized by height and personality across the bed. <laughs> they do have <laughs> Every day she put them in order, every day. And she also was a very social person. And so she had three, literally had three circles of friends. She had her school friends. She was, she, she was a dancer. She had her dance friends and she had her summer camp friends. And she had those friends' names and numbers in three circles of, on her wall of different color post-its. So the yellow post-its in a circle were her circle of school friends. The pink ones were camp friends and like the purple ones were her dance friends. That was a very organized, visually beautiful system. But her paperwork and her schoolwork was really chaotic. And when she was in seventh grade, she was very determined to get like all A's. And she really worked to get her stuff done. She was a good student. She got her stuff in and she got her first report card. And one of her classes, she was given a B and she was shocked. And she went to the teacher and said, why did I get a B? I did everything I was supposed to do. He said, well, I, you never handed in your third paper and she said yes I did you commented on it this is what you said about it you gave me an A on it blah 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 and he said well I don't have any record of that paper if you can find it and show it to me I'll correct your grade and she couldn't find it hmm. and she definitely ha and she said I am never going to suffer because of a teacher's disorganization and she sat down and created the most methodical filing system for her schoolwork so that she would never be stuck getting a, a bad grade because somebody else was disorganized. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that's what I mean by the motivation. Yeah. So if you're thinking about yourself or you're trying to help somebody else, it's not about judging. You're so disorganized. You're so chaotic. It doesn't look good to people. Like you shouldn't be this way. Baloney. That's never going to motivate anybody. That, all, all that does is the opposite. Mm. It just makes you feel bad and criticized and de-energized and that you're trying to fix yourself. And it, it's, a very, it's, a, it's the worst place to start for habit change. And that motivation doesn't last. Who wants to be punished into or shamed into anything? It doesn't work. Yeah. But ask yourself, what will you be able to spend time on if you were better organized. So you gave the example, the ministry worker, maybe that ministry worker wants to have a better social life, right? 
is always doing this on Saturday night because they leave the pl- the curriculum planning to the last minute and they're always missing out on the party or the date or the what you know whatever they want the the hangout time the going to the movie and what are you going to make room for and if you know that you really motivating you really want that and you'll be able to do that because you desperately want that you want that then if I actually buckle down and instead of doing my lesson plan at the last minute for two hours on Saturday night, maybe I do it at the first minute for two hours on Sunday afternoon or Monday night so that it is done by Monday for the next Sunday. And it's that you spend no more time than you do at the last minute. Don't spend more time just because you're starting early. Say if it's two hours on Saturday night at the last minute, why not do it Monday night by Monday night, no matter what my lesson plan is done. I'm giving myself the same two hours and that's my hard deadline and that's it. And you're done. So there's tricks you can use, but it's, you got to know what you're making space for. I think that's really powerful. I'm thinking particularly, again, we're talking more for adults here. The next segment, we're going to talk more about how we can connect this with students. But Julie, I think you hit on something really very, very important for youth workers because a lot of youth workers I know, I know hundreds and I know lots of pastors and and many of them I know, I look at them from the outside and I go, they could be so much more effective in the work that they do, but they're being held back by by that particular issue where they, you know, they, they forget, they forget to put things in their calendar. A lot of times, like you're saying, it's really simple, small things, but boy, they have a dramatic impact on the on the outcomes yeah. and, and yeah, on, on seeing the other side. So as people are listening to this, I just want to speak directly to youth workers, especially that your work is so important and none of us want to hold back the work that we feel like God wants us to do. And I, I just want to speak directly to you listening and say, you know, that what Julie's saying here is important for all of us. We want to be more effective in, in what we're doing to reach kids, to help them, to point them to to Christ and in faith. And, and so I think what you're saying is really good for all of us to hear because we all want to be more effective. And I think your emphasis there of not beating people up, I think youth workers get beat up a lot. I think, you know, some of their higher level leaders get frustrated with them. You know, it might be the board of directors of churches or different, you know, senior pastors, that those type of people that they get frustrated. We yeah. see that a lot. I'm on, I'm on the outside looking in sometimes, yeah. and I hear from both sides, and they're going, boy, this person working with their students, they there's no doubt they love the kids, but they just can't keep their lives together. They can't get organized. And yeah. I can tell you, I definitely see that. And I think seeing those breakthrough moments, that's just what you said, I think, was you know, so powerful. The other thing I want to say to this particular group of people. I think youth workers, people who are in service, very often prioritize taking care of others over taking care of themselves. So once they are actually ministering or they're running a class, they're in their element and they're very reactive in that moment and they're very attuned and they're very other oriented. But when they're not in that contained time actually serving where they're not kind of giving uh, any structure, which is taking care of themselves, which is, oh, let me get this done in an organized way so that I have time to go to the gym and I have time to sit and eat my meal and enjoy it. And I'm a whole person who's actually even a better role model to the kids that I'm trying to minister to or counsel or coach or support. So, I think that's another very common trap for service-oriented people. They're not giving themselves the time to structure their lives. They think that's a waste of time. And I just say, no, it's not, because it's if you take better care of yourself and you create your own sub-deadlines for your stuff and you fill your own schedule with the work, the renewal, the life fulfillment and the things that fuel you and fuel your energy and fuel your brain power and make you a richer and a more satisfied person, you will be so much more effective with the people that you are serving. 
you're living a life that they would aspire to and you have more to share because if you're telling somebody, Hey, take care of yourself, but you're not taking care of yourself. It's not as powerful. Julie, you mentioned that some people become organized because they're reacting to maybe their parents or some sort of scenario growing up. I, I know I am more organized because I, I shared a room with my brother who was older, but very disorganized pack rat collected everything closet spilling out even to, into my areas and and so I I like to live more of an organized life but then I had kids and like you mentioned the difficulty of keeping your household organized because of the kids and trying to instill organization into their lives and yeah. they may be reacting to me desiring to be organized and maybe focusing on one or two things that they could be organized around and I also know that you mentioned, I, I believe you mentioned this, that organization is not so much about putting things away, but trying to figure out the best a system to put that item away. I think what I say is that storage is for retrieval. Organizing systems are retrie- really should be retrieval systems. They're not storage systems. So lots of times when people are t- trying to set up a system, they're like, where should I put this? Where should I put this? Oh, there's an empty shelf. Let me put it over there. <laughs> but the way you really want to conceptualize any organizing system is to ask, under what circumstances would I look for this? You're setting up a system for easy retrieval. And when, when you're talking about a multi-user system, when you like, so you were an organized guy until you had a family, and now you've got a house full of different personalities, people with all different kinds of stuff, Kids who are changing and evolving in their interests, their size of clothes, their toys, their schoolwork, their capability. It's a, it's a completely different equation. And I think when it comes to family life, the organizing system has to be designed as a multi-user system, right? Everybody can keep their own room the way they want. That's fine. But all of the common spaces need to be designed in a way that everybody uses, understands, and can maintain the same system. Otherwise, if everybody is trying to just organize it the way you want and the way you think, it doesn't make sense to them because you have your own way of thinking. And they're not going to be able to maintain it. and They're going to put it somewhere different, and you're going to be frustrated. So you really want to do these as shared family systems. And I think it's kind of, we don't realize that, but a multi-user system has to be a designed together, maintained together, and kids from as young as four or five should be able to understand and maintain every system in the common areas of your house. Oh, this is where the remote goes. Everybody knows that. It goes in this basket. It's really clear. That's where the remote goes. Here's where the game shelves are. And we have the board games on this side, and we have the sort of, I don't know, something else kind of games on this side. The easier that system is, the easier it is for everybody to take care of each other by maintaining that system. For example, if one kid plays with a game and puts it back back where it belongs, when the next kid wants to find that game, they're going to find it. It's placed for retrieval. It's always on that shelf. If somebody plays a game and they don't put it where it belongs. They've just cost somebody else time. They've just put something on someone else's to-do list, which is you now have to find that. You're going to have to spend time looking. It's not a nice way of taking care of each other. It's putting things on each other's to-do list. Yeah. That's ultimately that, that I wanted to get from you is, you know, the practical ways to maintain that organized life, the systems and and discussing that. Cause I think that's so good. That's so true that we can, try to force organization on somebody the way we think it should be. So I apologize, Jeff, for uh, uh, <laughs> shaming you. <No>. Yeah. <laughs> Jason is a super organized detail person. Just going to say that yeah. for the record. But I, I wanted to hear how to maintain that because I fight that battle of multiple projects or multiple people in a household and the systems are are competing against each other and it's always going towards the layer of chaos instead of trying to maintain organization. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think what you really need to do is, again, focus on the common rooms, right, not people's private spaces. Everyone should have their own. If they have their own room or their own section of room, let them keep it the way they want. But for all the common spaces, the kitchen, the family room, the bathroom, that where all this common stuff, I have this model. I, I use the kindergarten model. I, I call it the kindergarten model of organizing. If you organize every single space on the model of a kindergarten classroom, it works. What is that model? It's the, the room is divided into activity zones, right? And everything is stored at its point of use, right? Arts and crafts are in the arts and crafts zone. They're not in the music corner, even if there's an empty shelf. You're still not going to put paintbrushes in the music zone. No, you put them in the arts and crafts zone. So store, things are stored at their point of use, and everything's in a really cool container that's perfect for what is being put away. And things are labeled very clearly so that nobody has to remember the system. It's a, it's a self-guided system. And you can do that in your kitchen, your family room, the bathroom. What are the zones? which is what are the activities that take place, what's the stuff we need, group it, contain it, label it. And do it in a way, you, you know, it can, you can design it together as a family. Say, okay, what are the activities that take place in the family room? We read, we do homework, we play games, we watch TV. Okay, what is the stuff we need to do each of those activities? Let's group them on the floor. Now let's put them into containers. Now let's label it. And you just work with your family to design it so everybody understands it and everybody participated. And now you have a system that is not competing. It's a shared system. It's so much easier for everybody to follow along. And then you just have to set aside time every day. That's the other piece for maintenance because you talked about maintenance. It's one thing to design a system. You can't maintain a system that's not designed, right? What's maintenance? It's like we're trying to design. Where does this go? I don't know. But first you design and then maintenance is some kind of a set of rules that we live by in this house, which is before you leave a room, you put everything back where it belongs so the next person who comes in can find stuff. Or right before dinner, we all put on a song and we all like put everything back in its home so that after dinner, the house is ready for the next, you know, for the evening. Or right before bed, we put everything away so we wake up to a clean and organized house. So maintenance is actually something that should you did kind of to develop a win and then just build it into the rhythm of your day. This is how we do it. That's and that's good. just, nobody's doing anyone a favor. This is just the way we work. Let's talk about students here. So these have been really incredibly helpful things for us as adults and trying to get organized as parents. And in this cluster of episodes, we're talking about students in time. We're talking a lot for all the challenges that students are facing these days because our lives are just packed more full of stuff. So let's look at this a little bit more from a student's perspective. You state that there are three steps to organizing anything, and you talked about this a little bit earlier, about analyzing the strategy yeah. and then the attack. Let's look at that from a student's perspective. Break those down a little bit more for those of us that are adults that are working with students. How can we help them analyze strategize and then attack all right so these three steps are the three phases of making sure that you're organizing or helping somebody organize themselves from the inside out it's not just find something and sort of attack first ask questions later it's ask questions first attack at the end so that you're really strategic and focused so analyze nobody is disorganized everywhere I've never met anyone who's disorganized everywhere. Everyone is organized in at least one or two places in their life. So if you have a student who is feeling really disorganized, whether it's with their space or their time or both, you sit down with them and you ask them of, uh, some questions and you have them think about what is working in your life? What systems do you have that work for you? And I push or probe until you find they are able to articulate, oh, well, I always, you know, put the dog leash back on that hook when I come home uh, from walking the dog. Like, that's a consistent system. It could be something that small to, well, I'm really organized with my space, but I'm not organized with my time. 
or I'm really organized when it comes to chores, but I'm not organized when it comes to my homework. So you ask what is working and what is not working, and then why do they want to get organized? And look for the big goal, right? What's the payoff for them? And then you want to strategize, and strategy is really coming up with the plan of the things that aren't working. How are you going to tackle them one at a time, right? So you don't do them all at once. I would look at the what's not working and ask that student and try to figure out where you start, which would be the thing that will take the least amount of time but it's going to have the highest daily impact, right? Because that's a quick reward. So prioritize the list. Strategize how you're, you know, what you're going to tackle in what order. And then you have a tack. And that's really where you would come up with a very concrete set of solutions for whatever that area is that needs a system. Julie, we've done some research on our own in regards to uh, students in time. And one of the questions that we, we presented or statements is there does not seem to be enough time to complete everything I'm expected to do in a day. And about 37% of students strongly agreed and another 36% of students somewhat agreed. So that's a, a strong majority of students are agreeing with this statement that they just don't have enough time to complete everything they're expected to do in a day. What would you say yeah. to that student who says, I just don't have enough time in my day to do blank? How do you start to help them to see the the priorities or to organize their time in a way that they are able to accomplish or get rid of things on their schedule that they shouldn't be involved with in the first place. I use a tool called a time map, which can be a very helpful tool to figure out the answer to the question. Do you have too much to do and not enough time, which can be true by the way. I mean, there are a lot of kids that are way over scheduled they're in classes all day. They're in so many after-school things. Then they have, like, dinner and chores. And, oh, my goodness, there is literally no time for homework. I've worked with kids like that, right? It's they're overscheduled. And then sometimes there's plenty of time, but the time's not being used well. So a time map will help reveal how much time you really have and if, if it's all going to fit or if you actually have to take things out. So a time map is a grid it's like a, if you think it's, it's like a schedule, it's seven days a week we, with like uh, 24 blocks of time for each day. So there's 168 hours we all have every week. That is 24 hours a day times seven days a week equals 168 hours. And if you map this out on a grid, like a eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper sideways, and you have the 168-hour grid of your week, Monday through Sunday. You then make a list on the side of what are the things I have to fit into my week. I have to fit in classes. I have to fit in homework. I have to fit in after school. I have to fit in church. I have to fit in family time, and I have to fit in, you know, chill time. Then you have that list of the categories that you have to fit into your week. Then you go into the grid. I, I, this is like, I, I know this is a very visual thing that I'm trying to describe yeah. uh, verbally, so I hope people are catching it. But if you just imagine that you have this grid, you have a list of the categories, and then you start filling in the blocks that are accounted for. Well, you're in school from this time to this time. That's blocked out. You're in after school or soccer or some hobbies or something on these times. And you start blocking out all the time that is not available for the free choice stuff. Like, when do I do my homework? When do I chill out? You will end up seeing in, in black and white in front of you how many, and oh, you have to block out sleep. Sorry, I forgot that one. That's an what important time one. You go to sleep? Yeah, so block out all the, you know, shade in all the blocks of sleep time you'll end up with a much smaller but a very clear set of how many open blocks of time do you have every day and every week for the things that you have to get done. And once you know what, it's incredibly revealing. If you end up filling in all of your schoolwork, your uh, after school, all your obligations, you have a part-time job if you're a teenager, 
and there's three open blocks left to work with, and you have eight hours of homework, something's going to have to go because you don't have enough time for what you need to do. So it's a visual aid to reveal how much time is accounted for and how much time is available for the, what I call the sort of, in a way, the things that, the free choice, it's the things you have to do in the available blocks of time you have. In the books you've authored, you have, you know, what you call the inside out philosophy. You've got student versions, adult versions. What are the major differences you've found between the methods you use between how they're how they play out in students' lives as compared to adults? You know, it's really interesting. They're very, very similar. I I actually think the challenges, the difference between the challenges for students so, you know, what they have to do is it's their learning for the first time kind of time skills. And they the, the good news is they have a few less buckets of responsibility than adults, right? I mean, they have to do the kind of things we were talking about. If you go to school, you have to do your homework. You have service or community stuff. Um and I think that they, they really need the tools. They need a time map. They need some kind of planner to keep track of things. Like it's really the fundamentals. And they need to learn the basic skill of time estimating. It's, it's what I call the gateway skill to good time management is to not just ask what do I need to do, but ask how long is that going to take and, and really know how long it's going to take. And if you don't know, time yourself and go, oh, it takes me 12 minutes to do the dishes. That's all. Or it takes me, you know, 45 minutes to do 10 math problems. Oh, so for every 10 math problems, I need 45-minute block. So I think one of the things that you can really do with students is teach them these fundamental skills. When it comes to adults, very often they never learn those skills, so they also need to learn those skills. <laughs> But adults, their lives are a little bit more complex because, you know, what you were saying is they're organizing their work lives, their family lives, and also trying to find time for themselves. It's just a little bit more complexity when you're an adult. I believe anybody who is listening right now is, whether they're a parent or working with students, ultimately want to see the students and their kids succeed as an adult. And you may have already answered this, but is there any other things, some ways as adults that we can help students get on the right foot in managing their time so that when they do go off to college, when they do become adults, when they do have families to better succeed in adulthood in this area? Yes. I, you know, my most recent book, I've written a bunch of books, Time Management from the Inside Out, which would be very helpful for listeners, Organizing from the Inside Out. But in my most recent book, it's called Time to Parent. And it's really for not just parents. It's parents, grandparents, neighbors, teachers, counselors, everybody. And I have in there sections on how to teach kids some of these life skills, age by age. And I have a section on teaching kids time management skills, age by age, organizing skills, age by age. And I think what you want to do is learn how to break it down, recognize that it is a skill, not a talent, and learn. If you don't know this skill yourself, which is what makes it hard to teach kids, right? Like you don't know how to teach what you don't know. Pick this book up and learn alongside the kids that you are coaching. Learn the, about time estimating and challenge them to do time estimates and you do time estimates. Learn how to balance a schedule, learn how to do a time map. And you can learn it alongside and just make sure that you recognize it's a skill, learn it with those kids, and set the expectation that time management is not going to make your life run perfectly smoothly. It's really a set of tools that you learn to use, like a hammer, a nail, a screwdriver, and a saw that help you get back on track every time your life feels off balance. That's really what time management skills are. They don't make for a smooth, perfect life. They get you to keep back on track because life will keep throwing you off track every time there's a change. Because that's the way time is. 
things that, keep changing on us. That's so good. I wish we could keep picking at your brain and getting your insight on this topic. <laughs> this is so fascinating. Uh, I just love hearing about this. We sense your passion too, Julie. Thanks for all you've done to help parents and us as adults as we help students here. Uh, you know, looking on Amazon, yeah, you've got so many books. We want to encourage listeners, get out there, go go look up Julie and find some of these resources. She's got some uh, great tools for all of us, for ourselves personally, which I love talking about that. Just for me, even hearing you talk, I'm I'm encouraged because I know there are parts of my life that are unorganized. And as my list of responsibilities grows and what I do, I'm always trying to learn new ways. So I've been encouraged by that. But also walking alongside students, some of the practical use skill, skills that you've had, like the Time to Parent book. I want to encourage youth workers, parents, look at this information. I want to encourage you to pick up some of these books and this book, Time to Parent, I think especially thinking about what we can do to walk alongside students are so good. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, and thanks everybody listening for all the good work that you do. And have faith in your own ability to learn to get organized and just do one thing at a time. That is my parting words of wisdom. You can find more about Julie at juliemorgenstern.com. You can find all of her books and just some of the tips that we've been talking about today. Again, thank you, Julie, for your time. It has been an honor to talk to you today. You too, guys. Thank you. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Hey guys, my name is Wayne Morgan and I work with the National Network of Youth Ministries. And before National Network, my focus was campus ministry. And every successful campus ministry was always focused around prayer. I was so excited to hear about the Claim Your Campus app and I'm really excited to see what happens when we connect these student leaders together with other student leaders. Because sometimes all you need to know is you're not alone. And so Claim Your Campus 2020 is exactly that, connecting student leaders with other student leaders and letting them know we are in this together. So back in 1972, there was an event called Explo 72, E-X-P-L-O, and it was in Dallas, Texas. And this event, Explo 72, was a gathering of young people, a lot of young adults, some high school, but mainly college. And, you know, I, I wasn't there at the event. I was a little bit too young during those days. But, but I continue to hear the, the after effects uh, of this event and that makes me think of what we will celebrate this summer as we record this in 2019. In July, it will be the 50-year anniversary of Woodstock. And again, wasn't at the event, wasn't born, wasn't around. But that event is still making a difference today. That moment is still remembered. What we are talking about in these bonus segments is a moment that will happen on July 4th weekend, 2020. And on that weekend, there will be what we... What we are sensing will be a historic moment for a generation of students to gather together and to meet with God. And we believe that that moments like Explo 72, that moments like the original Woodstock in 1969, um, those can go beyond just being moments. You know, we have a, a phrase that we use, Jason, moments mobilize movements. This will be a moment in time on July 4th weekend, 2020, but we think that it will it will transform into a movement that happens around the nation. In the last week or so, we've spent about four days in heavy planning for this event. Is there anything that out of those four days of planning, really brainstorming what this weekend is going to look like, anything that is sticking in your mind of, of worth sharing with the audience? One of the things that really sticks out, Jason, I mean, we spent two days with a team of people talking about what will happen on the main stage during the four sessions that we have over that weekend of July 4, 2020. But I think we're talking, we want students to walk away with three basic things. We want them to participate in weekly prayer group, number one. Number two, we want them to be able to verbally share their faith in Christ, and we're going to train them how to do that at the event. The third thing is we want to help them to walk away with a plan of how they can show Jesus at their school by serving and caring. It's really summed up in three words— Prayer, share, and care. 
want them to participate weekly prayer group, that's prayer. want them to be able to verbally share their faith, that's share, and then serve on their campus, that's care. But I want to talk about the care for a minute because we walked away and we talked about a, a powerful shift that we believe is going to happen with students that attend this event, and that is how they look and perceive their school and their campus. You know, I, I can speak from my experience and say that um, I didn't really care too much for junior high and high school. I wanted to get out of there. I was a believer in high school, but, but I was just focused on keeping my head down, not wanting to stick out, and getting through school and, and graduating and moving on with my life. And, and someone on the team talked about, you know, this, this thing about caring for schools at this event and talking about it and strategizing, it all starts with a heart of compassion. It starts with the eyes of Jesus to see the school as a place of opportunity, not a place where you want to get out, not a place that, that you hate. And one of the phrases that we use and we talked about that will probably end up coming out of the event as we said, what if we could get every student to no longer say or believe my school sucks? We could just say, we're going to stop using that language. We're going to challenge you as students to, to look at your school differently. Talking about Matthew 9, when Jesus looked at the crowds, he had compassion on them. We want to see a, a compassion rise out of this event for students that they will have for their schools, not because we think it's a great idea, but we believe it's it's a Christ-like way to see the world and to see their campus. It's where they live. It's where they are. It's their mission field that they live in. I think it was so transformational to start discussing it that way and have the perspective of our school that way because so many students, you don't want to be there. They don't want to be right. there. They would rather do something else. They feel forced to be there, and yet they are supposed to be there. They have to go through school, middle school, high school. The majority of society goes through those two avenues. And yet the perspective of looking at their school as not, uh, I have to be here, but I get to be here. I have an opportunity. And, and so that phrase, my school doesn't suck, um, or however we may phrase it on a t-shirt or yeah. whatever we land on, but that, that perspective that it isn't a bad place, but it has opportunity for us to go in and, and minister and to show compassion and, and really transforming our heart from, man, this sucks to, man, I, I get to, I get to show care and compassion to my classmates that may not experience that at all from the time that they wake up to the time that they fall asleep. Yeah, we believe this event will be transformational for students as they look at their school, and then you multiply it. I mean, our dream goal is 10,000 schools being represented at Claim Your Campus 2020. Jason, if you can imagine that, 10,000 schools represent 15% of all middle and high schools in, in the United States. There are 67,000. So if we have 10,000 at the event, we believe that we will, we're going to hit that 15% number, which is a significant tipping point number to start to really turn things around in schools across the country. As, as we all know, we live in a day and age where, where schools are, are battle zones, not just in a spiritual sense, but even in a physical sense. And these are moments of opportunity for us as adults to help guide students through the awareness of making their school a place where, where they can show and share Jesus on a regular basis, and we want to equip them to do that. And one of the key ways that we're, that we're getting to this place to do this event and get schools there is through adult, what we call adult advocates. We're looking for 10,000 adults out there that say, I care about a school. I want to make a difference. I want students that are following Christ to claim their campus, to pray, and to show the compassion of Jesus. So if you're interested in this, we want to invite you to go on the journey with us. I want to give you a couple action steps here. Go to claimyourcampus2020.com, get more information. And then if you're a Facebook user, jump on Facebook, go to Claim Your Campus Advocates. It's a group within Facebook, Claim Your Campus Advocates. Join that group to get continual information about what's happening in this exciting movement. We want to see all of you there with us on July 4th weekend 2020 for Claim Your Campus 2020.